Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Good afternoon and welcome to eBible Fellowship Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today is study number 5 in Joel chapter 1. We're going to be reading from Joel 1 verse 13 through 17. Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests, howl, ye ministers of the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God, for the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. Sanctify ye a fast, call solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of Jehovah your God, and cry unto Jehovah. Alas, for the day, for the day of Jehovah is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Is not the meat cut off before our eyes? Yea, joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seed is rotten under their clods. The garners are laid desolate. The barns are broken down, for the corn is withered. And I'll stop reading there. Now, we're going to find that the same theme of God's judgment on the people called by his name, uh, Judah of old, and uh, that judgment in turn pointing to the judgment on the corporate churches at the time of the end, at the time of the Great Tribulation period. And and also, um, uh, along with that theme comes the judgment of God in the form of the Holy Spirit being removed and there being no more salvation for the corporate body. Well, um, in verse 13 of Joel 1, it says, Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests, how ye ministers of the altar come, lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God, for the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. Now, uh, this language, uh, if we look at the key words, lament, howl, lie all night in sackcloth, is language that identifies with repentance. Um, for instance, in 1 Kings chapter 21, we read of King Ahab, that heard the news of God's judgment coming upon him in 1 Kings 21 and in verse 25. I'll start reading there. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of Jehovah, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did very abominably in following idols according to all things, as did the Amorites, which Jehovah cast out before the children of Israel. And it came to pass, when Ahab heard those words, that he rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh, and fasted, and lay in sackcloth, and went softly. And the word of Jehovah came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Seest how thou, how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, and will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days, or bring the evil upon his house. 
And that's what God is saying to to Israel. That's what he's saying um, to the church. He's saying that you have done wickedly like Ahab, and, and Ahab did wickedly because his wife Jezebel stirred him up uh, to work great evil. And uh, remember in the book of Revelation in chapter 2, we went through this in our Revelation study. It says in Revelation 2.20 and, and Revelation 2 and 3, chapters 2 and 3, are addressing the seven churches. And and this is said within the address to the church in Thyatira. Revelation 2.20, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. So God is addressing the church and he's saying that they suffered or allowed Jezebel, just like Ahab allowed Jezebel to stir him up to do evil things. The church has within it Jezebel. Now, this would be pointing, of course, not to uh, the the woman herself. She dies in, uh, we read, the account in Second Kings. And it, it's not her in particular, but it's those that are in the spirit of Jezebel, and that's the spirit of Satan, the, the spirit of the enemy of God. The church was allowing the same type of spirit within the congregations to stir up the congregation to do evil in God's sight. And and he says, the Lord says in Revelation 2.21, I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. Repent. That's exactly the same thing that God is saying in Joel chapter 1 in these verses. Gird yourselves, lament ye priests, how ye ministers of the altar. Lie in sackcloth, ministers of uh, your God, and and so forth. That is, in other words, repent. Turn from your sins. Turn from the things that are bringing the judgment of God upon you. We, we find in Jeremiah chapter 4, in Jeremiah 4, it says in verses 7 and 8, The lion is come up from his thicket, and the destroyer of the Gentiles is on his way. He is gone forth from his place to make thy land desolate, and thy city shall be laid waste without an inhabitant. For this gird you with sackcloth, lament and howl, for the fierce anger of Jehovah is not turned back from us. But, of course, in Joel 1, we're looking at um, the time of the judgment of God upon the churches, and the, the time of the Great Tribulation, and so judgment has begun upon the house of God, and yet, even during the judgment, while the judgment was underway, this would be the will of God for those within the congregations. Repent. 
turn from your sins. And uh, uh, don't you understand that the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God? Now, we saw earlier in verse 9 of Joel 1, where it said the meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of Jehovah, the priest, Jehovah's ministers, mourn. And we looked up that word and we saw it had every, or we looked up meat offering and drink offering and we saw it had everything to do with Christ, everything to do with the sacrifices and, and therefore everything to do with, um, the, the gospel that brings salvation. And, and, uh, there's, um, another scripture in Jeremiah that uses this word withholden, as it says here in Joel one thirteen, that the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. In Jeremiah chapter 3, and the first three verses, Jeremiah 3, beginning in verse 1, they say, if a man put away his wife, and she go from him, and become another man's. Shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers. Yet return again to me, saith Jehovah. Lift up thine eyes unto the high places, and see where thou hast not been lying with. In the ways hast thou sat for them, as the Arabian in the wilderness. And thou hast polluted the land with thy whoredoms and with thy wickedness. Therefore the showers have been withholden, and there has been no latter rain. And thou hast the whore's forehead, thou refusest to be ashamed. And God here is speaking again to Judah, and he's indicating he has removed blessing from them. And, and of course, um, in, in their... Um, harvest, if there is no latter rain, they will not have a good crop. They, they will, they will have a ruined harvest. And, and God's in control of the rain, the literal rain that falls. He, he's in control of the type of harvest that Judah would have. And likewise, spiritually, God is in control of the spiritual harvest of believers, the precious fruit of the earth that the Bible is uh, concerned about. And God, due to the sins of the corporate church, withheld the latter rain from them. They, they received the early rain, and the first fruits were brought in. And remember, the early rain identifies with the church age, and the first fruits all those saved within the congregations over the course of the 1955 years. But then when it came time, when the Lord's timetable of times and seasons progressed to um, a later point in the year, the end of the year for the final harvest, he withheld the latter rain from the church, because of their sins, because of their high places, as Jeremiah 3 pointed out. And they receive no latter rain, and therefore their crop was ruined. It was destroyed. But of course, the Bible insists there is a latter rain. Lord willing, we will read in Joel 2, or study that when we get to that point. 
and in other places in the Bible, there is a latter rain, there is a final harvest, there is actually a great multitude that are saved out of the great tribulation, the the point in which the latter rain falls, but not within the church because of their sins. God has withholden the latter rain, and really the, the rain is the word of God, or the blessing of God's Spirit that comes through the Word of God has been withholden, and that's the identical meaning with the Lord saying that the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. All right, let's go on to verse 14 of Joel chapter 1. Sanctify ye a fast, call solemn assembly, Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of Jehovah your God and cry unto Jehovah. Now, in one way, we read this and we're surprised because it's the judgment on the church. It's the time of the end of the church age that's spiritually in view. And why isn't God commanding them to get out of the church? Why isn't he saying... Uh, instead of calling a fast and a solemn assembly and gathering into the house of Jehovah to cry unto him, why doesn't he tell them to uh, make a declaration to get out? Well, and this is all related. What God is saying is, first of all, to the, uh, remember the previous verse, uh, lament priests, how ye ministers, um, ye ministers of my God, they, he, he's saying to the church authorities, to the rulers of the congregations, to call this solemn assembly, call together the people. And was that within the power of a pastor to do? And the elders of the church, could they have had a special gathering of the church? when they heard the news of the end of the church age and and that God's judgment was on the corporate body? Yes, very much so. It was within the power of the congregation to do. Of course, um, it rarely happened. Maybe there was a handful of churches in all the world that took the news of God's judgment seriously enough to study the things that were being declared regarding the end of the church age. And uh, just a handful out of a church world of nearly 2 billion people, or about 2 billion people. That's a lot of churches. That's a lot of priests and ministers and pastors and elders and deacons. And a handful, literally a handful of churches out of that number that took it seriously enough to do an in-depth Bible study concerning the report they were hearing, only a handful that were like Bereans to check the scriptures, to search the Bible, to see if it were so. And that that's why God is saying this. He's commanding the church and, and every congregation within the whole corporate body, exactly what they should have done. 
This is what each church should have done because it was a serious presentation of the Bible concerning God's judgment on them. And, and yet it was not done due to indifference or a dismissive attitude or just pure arrogance. It was not done by the overwhelming majority of churches. It was only a, a couple of churches that, that did this and, and of those they did dismiss. They disbanded being church and, and they became a fellowship or, or a nothing at all, but just a handful out of so many. Well, it's not surprising, of course, to God, even though he commanded this, that they should sanctify a fast and call a solemn assembly and gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land. Everyone in the church should have been uh, warned of this information and should have been gathered together to review it and consider it, and it, it wasn't done. And that fact is not surprising. As I mentioned in Jeremiah 6, and Jeremiah is that heavy book. It's a, it's a full of tremendous truth concerning the Great Tribulation and Judgment Day, and especially of uh, the rebellious nature of the people of God, uh, Judah of old, and the professed Christian of our day. It, it says in Jeremiah 6, beginning in verse 16, Thus saith Jehovah, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. Also I set watchmen over you, saying, Hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not hearken. Therefore, hear ye nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened unto my words, nor to my law, but rejected it. To what purpose cometh there to me incense from Sheba, and the sweet cane from a far country? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices sweet unto me. And here God it's just a small example of the refusal of his own people to listen to the word of God. Oh, they love God. They, they love Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Uh, you can, you can hear that, um, un, in an unending way coming forth from the congregations and the churches. Such wonderful love. Such tremendous um, respect and honor they pay to the Lord Jesus Christ with their mouths. But when it comes to true love and true honoring of the Son of God through obeying the Word of God, well, their hearts are far from Him. They do not hearken. They reject the Word of God. They won't even bother to come together to seriously study the matter. Uh, and uh, th- this is the awful, grievous spiritual condition 
of the churches over, well, in, in, in actually in the case of, of many churches over the course of the entire church age. This is, this is part of allowing Jezebel within to stir up such rebellion against God. But now it's the condition of every church in the world. Without exception, every church has refused to hearken and, and their continued existence is uh, a demonstration. It, it is a signpost indicating we did not hearken to God. We rejected His Word. And, and that's why it, it's such a travesty, such a horrible thing when true believers, profess true believers, that, that's another term that um, is coming to pass, it seems, in our time. In these days after the tribulation, there used to be able to separate believers from true believers. True believers were the ones that came out of the church. True believers were the ones that believe God's um, uh, biblical calendar of history and and the information that God opened up at the time of the end as he unsealed his word. And, and true believers trusted these things. Well, now, true believers, you have to put some quotes around that also, now have gone back from the biblical calendar and have gone back from the doctrines that God, the Lord, graciously opened up to us. And they've returned even to church. What a horrible thing it is to have received such uh, truth from God as as God delivered it to you and then to reject it and return to church to look back after having put your hands to the plow during that that wonderful period of the latter rain and and to go back uh, some to the world yes but some to the church and and what is there for them but a congregation that rejects the word of the Lord on practically every point of doctrine. It, it, it's really a horrible thing. Now, now let, let's compare reactions. Let's com- uh, we, we know the reaction of the church to what God said here of sanctifying a fast and calling an assembly, gathering the elders and all the inhabitants of the land. And this goes along with the previous verse. Uh, gird yourselves, lament ye priests, how ye ministers of the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God. For the meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of your God. There is the direction of God for the congregations on how they should have responded once they heard the news that the judgment was upon them. And let's compare that with Jonah. And and Jonah was the prophet that the Lord sent to Nineveh. And and Jonah had no good news for the Ninevites. Uh, it, it was a message of judgment. We read in Jonah 3, beginning in verse 4, And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them 
even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? That is a right response. That's a right reaction to the news. God's judgment is upon you. And, and they, they did, uh, proclaim a fast. They did sit in sackcloth and these were a heathen people. They, they had no relationship with the God of the Bible. Like Judah had a relationship with them. Like those professed Christians in the churches today and during the Great Tribulation had a relationship with God. And it, it's a good example of exactly the response that every church and every congregation should have had, and every pastor and every elder and every deacon, are they above it? Are they, uh, 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 is their authority so great that they don't have to hearken to the word of God? That, that they were not obligated to humble themselves as the Ninevites did? Notice it was the king of Nineveh and his nobles that proclaimed a fast to all the inhabitants of Nineveh. And if the Ninevites could have done that, certainly the local churches and congregations could have done the same thing. And they did not. They had no such concern. They had no such care for the members of their congregation, for those families, for those children. Oh, now they... When they hear the news that there's no more salvation, old oh, and and uh, E Bible Fellowship is is saying there's a strong likelihood that October seventh, twenty fifteen, will be Judgment Day. Oh, the fingers come pointed out quickly. Oh, and and the accusations and and the the condemnations against E Bible that we're saying there's a date, we're saying there's no more salvation. What a terrible thing they're teaching. And yet, yet, where was the love? Where was the concern? Where was the great protection over their congregations when the word of God, that this isn't some word from um, uh, some other uh, false religion, from some writings that are, are um, strange and and do not come from the mouth of God. This information came forth from the word of God and was seriously presented by a faithful man of God like Mr. Camping and a faithful ministry at that time like Family Radio for over 50 years. God could not have brought a better representative or messenger than 
Mr. Camping and Family Radio at that time, and yet it wasn't even looked at nor considered. It wasn't given the time of day to use that worldly expression. They didn't have the time. And instead they allowed their congregations to die. They allowed the people that they professed to love to die spiritually because the door shut on them while they were uh, involved in other matters that must have been more, much more important than taking seriously the warning of God's word. And, oh, what a, what a terrible thing it is that the leaders of these churches and congregations were involved with. Of course, the people, we, we can't say other than the Bible says that the people within the congregation love to have it so. They're, they have their own individual responsibility and each one within every church had an individual obligation and responsibility to listen to the words of God concerning his warning to get out of the church, to flee uh, out of the midst before that grievous time come when the door shut. And now the door did shut. The door of heaven shut and, and the latter rain has ceased to fall. God withheld the latter rain from within the churches and congregations throughout the entire great tribulation period. So they receive no latter rain, which means no fruit grew. There was no fruit. Joel 1 is telling us of that um, completely ruined harvest. Not, not a, a piece of good fruit anywhere to be found. Because there was no latter rain. And the only place to experience the latter rain was outside of the church. In the world. And and that's why God brought the news. The church age is over. You must get out. You have to get out of this congregation. Get out of, of the church. The, the time of the church is over. They were for the first fruits. Now it's the final season of harvest. It's the latter rain. And yet it's withholding from the midst of all the churches of the world. Get out. And... You pastors, you ministers, you priests, don't you see, don't you understand? Call your congregations together. Talk about these things. Go over them and you will see, you will see if you follow the Bible's methodology of comparing scripture with scripture and, and you, you see these hidden truths that the Lord is opening up now since it's the time of the end. The, the great urgency to get out so that the people, the congregation and their families can be in the place where the rain is falling that perhaps if it's God's good pleasure, they might become saved and, and be, uh, come part of that precious fruit of the earth. And, and yet the latter rain ended and and they stayed put. They remain in their church. They didn't budge. And and then on May 21, 2011, they celebrated the triumph of the church. Finally, the church had a victory. Finally, the church was right about something. Finally, 
all the pastors and all the elders and, and the priests and the ministers of the altar and of the house of God, that all who ought to have been lamenting and howling and weeping and sitting in sackcloth and crying mightily unto God. Oh, they didn't do any of that. They just simply told people, don't listen. Don't listen to any of this. The church age isn't over. You can't know the day or hour. And then May 21, 2011 came and nothing happened. And they all exalted and lifted up their arms in unison with the world that likewise was exuberant, that nothing occurred, nothing happened, that we were right. And, and and I tell you, that's a scary thing, that a church that unifies over nothing, that a church that is incorrect about practically everything, finally comes together in unity and and pro, proclaims and lifts up their arms in a victory celebration over being right. You can almost be sure that they are wrong because this church is a blind church. This church lies in darkness. This church, yes, I, I suppose, could be right on a matter or two, but never, never the whole church. And... And the fact is, they were not right. They were not correct. May 21, 2011 did come and bring Judgment Day with it. And God shut the spiritual door of heaven. But notice, it's the spiritual door. And when a church is blind, and when a church lies in darkness, they cannot see in the spiritual realm. And so... To them, nothing happened. The church actually had already experienced a shut door for 23 years, since May 21, 1988. They had been living in the darkness for 23 years. They had been living in a situation where the door of heaven was already shut, where there was no latter rain. And so naturally, when God shut the door to now all the world that had been open a great door and effectual to all the inhabitants of the world as he saved a great multitude and as God then brought the world into darkness oh certainly the church saw nothing because it's their common situation for over 23 years the world now is in the same spiritual condition as the church and naturally, naturally, the the people of the church feel very comfortable. They see no change. They see no difference because they they ha- themselves have been under the wrath of God. They have been living in the exact circumstances that the world just entered into, and you know uh, uh, the, this uh, is. Uh, it, it's troubling. It's troubling when we read these kinds of things, and it's troubling because we're living after the fact. The, it's past now. The time has come. And it, it was troubling prior to May 21, seeing the uh, inactivity, the lack of response, uh, the the lack of hearkening to the trumpet sound 
that the the churches uh, exhibited they they just didn't listen and and that was sorrowful and and that was troubling but it's even more troubling now because it's too late now it's over with the time has passed the the latter rain has ceased to fall there is no more salvation and so for even those people that were within the congregations that where they could not have been saved and now if they were to hear these things and and it, if they were to uh, agree with them wholeheartedly with, with uh, all that is within them and and say oh now i see now i understand there is uh, what can we say what can we say you were in a situation for 23 years or however long you were in the church if you were in there up until god shut the door and you were once he shut the door you became bundled as a tear and and the lord completed the separation of the wheat and the tares and all remaining no matter how enormous the number all remaining within the church were bundled as tares for the burning and the burning began May 21, 2011, as all the the whole church body, as one huge bundled group of tares, was cast into the fire spiritually of God's wrath. And at the time, the door of heaven was shut, and and so uh, at least someone outside of the church. Uh, an atheist, anybody outside of the church had no connection or association with the church could have the hope. Well, um, is it possible that, that I could be saved? And, and the Bible's response is no, not now, not since May 21, 2011. But they could go on. Is it possible that, that, uh, maybe I was saved before God shut the door? Possibly, even though we're getting late into the time of this prolonged period of Judgment Day, and and, and it's possible um, that perhaps God saved you. I don't know, but you can at least go to God and and beseech Him and say, "Oh, Heavenly Father, having had mercy, that is during the time when mercy was available, during the day of salvation, while." The door of heaven was open. Having had mercy, have mercy. That is, you're acknowledging the action of God had to be prior to the end of his salvation program. And and you can approach God that way. But someone in the church who remained in the church up until May 21, 2011, did not get out, cannot even approach God that way. Because when they would pray, having had mercy, that is, during the time when God was saving that great multitude, where were they? God saved the great multitude through the latter rain. But where was the latter rain falling? Outside of the church. So they, they can't even have the hope, the, the, the smallest of hopes that perhaps uh, God saved me before he shut the door. Not possible if you were in the churches and in the congregations. Oh, what's left for them? The Bible allows only for 
um, these people, these poor people, to cry out, Oh, oh, oh God, may your cup pass from me. And, and may, uh, the cup of your wrath pass from me. And, and then the prayer should be concluded, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine will be done. Just as the Lord Jesus prayed, while under the wrath of God, Christ was experiencing the wrath of God in the garden when he went three times to make that prayer that the cup of wrath might pass from him. And that's the prayer that God allows the corporate church, that the cup of God's wrath might pass from them at this time. But but again, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Did the cup of wrath pass from Christ? No, it was not possible according to the will of God. He, he must drink the cup of the wrath of God. Well, um, it, it, it's sorrowful and grievous and... Yet we can't dwell on these things. We we have to continue on. And let's go on to the next verse of Joel, chapter 1, verse 15. Alas, for the day, for the day of Jehovah is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. And, and this is uh, scripture, again, that's looking ahead to the time of the end of the world. Looking ahead... Uh, to the time of the great tribulation. And judgment began at the house of God. And it's very likely that the 8400 days of uh, the great tribulation, the judgment on the church, is together with 1600 days of judgment on the world uh, uh, to form 10,000 overall days of judgment. And the 10,000, as the number 10 in the Bible points to completeness, would complete the wrath of God for mankind, those that profess to be his people and those that are not his people. And and, and so in one way, the, the day of the Lord began with the judgment beginning at the house of God, the church. But the Bible also reserves that language for the official beginning of Judgment Day on the world. And the world was not being judged during the 23 years, but the church was. So when when the judgment uh, started on the churches, that was a big indicator that the judgment of the world was soon to follow. And, and the judgment on the world is called the Day of Jehovah, or the day of the Lord, or the day of God's wrath. It, there's many ways, different ways God refers to that. And, and here it says, alas for the day, for the day of Jehovah is at hand. And, uh, this is said in each one of the chapters of Joel. It says in Joel chapter 2, verse 1, blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of Jehovah cometh, for it is nigh at hand. And the the Hebrew word translated at hand is often translated as near. The day of Jehovah is near or nigh. 
it, 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 it's translated as sometimes. In Joel chapter 3, it says in verse 14, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of Jehovah is near in the valley of decision. And then in verse 15, The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. Now, we know that that took place immediately after the tribulation. So the day of Jehovah is near during the great tribulation. And then immediately after, the sun is dark and the moon does not give its light and the stars fall from heaven. And it is judgment day. It is uh, then present. It, it is occurring and happening. Um, the, this language of being near is also found in Zephaniah. Uh, it's found in a few places. Uh, Isaiah 13, verse 6, you can look at. I'm not going to turn there. And also Zephaniah 1, in verse 14. The great day of Jehovah is near. It is near, and hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of Jehovah, the mighty man, shall cry there bitterly. And then it goes on to say, that day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, and so forth. It's describing the character of the day of Jehovah. And it, it, here, here's why we can be so um, sorrowful in, in our time. In Zephaniah 1, it said, The great day of Jehovah is near, it is near, and hasteth greatly. That is, it's near, it's coming. And that was the cry of the Bible. That was the warning message of Scripture down through the centuries, all through history. The day of Jehovah is coming. The day, the official day of the wrath of God is coming. There will be a judgment day. There is an end to this world. And and it hasted because um, time flies, as the expression goes. And, and time did fly. And the thousands of years of, of world history, of the history of earth, came uh, to a conclusion point. In 1988, it was the 13,000th year of earth's history. It was the, the year that judgment began at the house of God, and it began the time of the end, and it signaled the day of Jehovah is even closer. And this language we read in the Bible about being at hand, well, uh, during that great tribulation, it, it was about as close as it could be. And now, here we are reading the Bible, the the Bible that has worn countless souls throughout the history of the world uh, of this awful day of Jehovah hastening on and and mankind always had the perspective of looking towards that day that day was coming that day would come one day and now for the first time in in history we who are presently living alive on the earth, are living in the day of judgment, which means in the day of the Lord, in the day of God's wrath. It's not coming. 
It's not future, although certain aspects to it are, such as the final destruction of uh, this corrupt world and of all the unsaved and and the removal of these things that are shaken so that uh, the eternal kingdom of God that cannot be shaken will uh, will come into existence or or be created a new heaven and new earth but but for the first time in history we read the bible from that perspective and the warnings of the bible that um seek the lord while he may be found and and because the day is coming judgment day when you'll no longer be able to seek him is really what that Scripture was implying all the the many verses in the Bible that were designed by God to warn of the approaching day of the Lord. Well, now we have uh, entered into a different phase. We're living in those days after that tribulation, and we're living in judgment day. We're living at the very edge. The uh, you, there's no more um, seasons, no more times, no more um, periods of of rain. No, nothing is left. Nothing is left at all except the final, ultimate destruction of all things, and and that's where we're at. Well, all right. Let let's go back to Joel. Chapter 1, Joel 1, and it says in verse 16, Is not the meat cut off before our eyes? Yea, joy and gladness from the house of our God. And, of course, this is, um, it's redundant almost. God is using a different way of putting it slightly different even some of the words are the same the meat cut off it reminds us of the meat offering that is cut off but but it's teaching the same point and and you see how god just hammers a point uh home again and again uh, he reiterates uh, he emphasizes and this is about as strong a emphasis as you can find anywhere in the bible here in Joel 1, that judgment will come on the church. The church will be cut off from God. They they will not experience salvation. Now, the word meat um, is Strong's number 400, and it's also translated as food uh, in some places and meat in some others. It says in Psalm 145... Psalm 145, in verse 15, The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Well, the due season of the latter rain, which would produce the final crop, was cut off from the house of God, cut off from the church. Um, let me, let's just look at one other verse in Habakkuk chapter 3. And Habakkuk is right before Zephaniah. It says in verse 17, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, 
and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in Jehovah, I will joy in the God of my salvation. Now the um, the previous verses is interesting, and it would appear to uh, tie into the church uh, primarily. The language applies, and we can see how it fits so well with Joel 1 concerning the destruction of the harvest. The fig tree is in blossoming, and there's no fruit in the vines, and the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. And and again, uh, spiritually, that's always how we have to look at the Bible for the spiritual meaning. What does that mean? What What is the fruit that God is looking for as the husbandman? Remember that, that wonderful verse in James chapter 5, where the Lord likens himself to a husbandman that waits for the latter rain, or the, the periods of rain. In James 5, verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and has long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Well, the uh, the church experienced the early rain, but not the latter rain. And the latter rain and the early rain have now both fallen, and God ceased to be long-sufferingly patient when he shut the door of heaven on May 21, 2011. All right, let's just read verse 17 where it says, The seed is rotten under their clods. The garners are laid desolate. The barns are broken down, for the corn is withered. Again, further elaboration, further um, statements concerning the spiritual crop within the churches and congregations. It, it, it's, it's gone. It's finished. It's ruined. Uh, God's using many different ways of stating the same truth. And the interesting thing about verse 17, and it's interesting and unusual, is that uh, several of the words that are given in this verse are found only in this verse. The Hebrew word for seed is found only in verse 17. The Hebrew word for rotten and for clods and for barns are found only in this verse. Uh, the word for garners helps us to um, search other places in the Bible to get a, a fuller explanation. Uh, but we'll we'll save that for our next Bible study in, in the book of Joel. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.